I'd like to say good evening. Greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be here tonight. Our message tonight is titled Relating Closely. And it's about closeness in friendship and in our relationships that we have that we can enjoy being close to each other. I would like to mention here at the outset of the message that I would I want to be giving opportunities at the end of the message for you to share with us what a close a close friendship has meant to you. In what way has a close relationship of some type been a blessing to you? And what has it done for you in your journey of faith? Okay, the message then is relating closely. Lieutenant Hiro Onada was the last Japanese soldier to surrender after World War II. He was left on the island Lubang in the Philippines in 1944, along with three other soldiers. They were left with the command to carry on the mission even if Japan surrenders. Eventually the others were killed or surrendered, but Onada continued his war alone. Through the years, he ignored messages from loudspeakers announcing Japan's surrender. Leaflets were dropped in the jungle begging him to surrender so he, would, he could return to Japan. During his 29-year private war, he killed at least 30 Philippine nationals. More than half a million dollars were spent trying to locate him and convince him to surrender. Finally, on March 10, 1974, Onada surrendered his rusty sword after receiving a personal command from his former superior officer. His lonely war was finally over. When he returned to Japan as a prematurely aged man of 52, he made this comment. Nothing pleasant during those 29 years in the jungle. This is from Newsweek. It's a bit of an understatement. But people can spend long years fighting lonely battles when they are determined to go it alone. People spend years battling secret sins and weaknesses and addictions when they could end the battle if they would let other people help them. We need each other for perspective, accountability, advice, encouragement, and all of the other things that Christian friendship adds to our lives. So often we walk alone. We don't, we struggle with close friendships. We fight our private battles. We soldier on by ourselves. But God didn't really design people that way. That's not the way you were designed to walk alone. When Adam took a look at, when God took a look at Adam one day, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. I don't know if some of you are loners. I, would candidly say that I am a bit of a loner. And I'm speaking tonight not from a position of strength, but a as an advice giver from the Word and from the experiences of others. And I, I believe I have gained some ground. But for those of us who are a little bit more loners, we are missing out on tremendous blessings that God intends for close relationships being and doing the things that promote that closeness in friendship. 
Many of us struggle with maintaining meaningful friendships. Our personalities vary, our needs vary, our desires vary. We're all in some type of relationship, but we don't, aren't close in that relationship. We are off by ourselves somewhat. That can be in a marriage relationship. So many people that are married are actually not really living close to each other. They're living in the same home. They are um, parents of the same children, but they're not close. And it's, it's really sad. Is closeness necessary? No, it's not. Many people have proven that. You can go through life as a loner and never really experience that. But you're missing out, is my message tonight. You're missing out on God's plan for companionship, for joy, for value in life, for affirmation, for uh, those things that should take away our loneliness and make our trials easier to bear. Let's start off with a few provoking questions here to, to start us thinking. The first one is, what are some of the rewards of having close friends? Um, we want to talk about that tonight. What is, the, what is it that separates people? Number three, why do we hide from other people? And how can I make others feel safe enough to open up to friendship? That is going to be one of the key messages I want to leave with us tonight is that the security in a relationship is that which provides the fertile ground for closeness. Providing security. And it starts as a child. I think one of the, the greatest gifts you can give your child as a young child is to provide that child a secure environment. That child can flourish in a secure environment. If there is not that secure environment for the small child, if mom and dad maybe are fighting or there is, there is just obvious needs and insecurities around, you are, you are not, that child can survive, but it makes it really, really difficult. few scriptures to begin with. One that is often used in the area of friendship is the one out of 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 3. Came to pass, this is speaking of uh, Jonathan, I think, initially. Came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go, go home would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Scripture says that the soul of David and Jonathan were knit together. That is, there was a bond there that developed between these two young men. Their emotions got involved. And it says that Jonathan loved David as himself. And we see that through their experience, the unselfish nature of their friendship. They made a covenant together. Jonathan gave David a gift. He reached out and made a connection. He reached out unselfishly. And a beautiful relationship developed. What are some of those qualities? We hope to discuss that tonight. What are the qualities that make friendship work? What makes a friend a deep source of enjoyment rather than an acquaintance? 
what brings on that attachment that close friends share. Another second scripture, and I want to mention this is not from an actual translation of scripture. This is from the message by Eugene Peterson. It's kind of a uh, paraphrase, if you will. It says, laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. I like that paraphrase of those verses from Romans 12. Our encouragement to share in life's experiences with each other in a close way. When somebody's happy, laugh with them. When somebody's sad, cry with them. Share experiences. Don't be stuck up. Don't be haughty. Don't be nose in the clouds. Go associate closely with people. God intends that. And I would like to mention that as I was meditating on the scripture a little bit, this is actually a command. Okay? It's not just a nice suggestion. This is, this is Paul writing to the Romans. He's asking us to, the, the Roman Christians to do this. Share laughter. Share tears. Uh, get along. Uh, don't, don't think yourself better than others, but to, but reach out to other people. This next scripture could be a little humorous if you try to visualize it all. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. That's not exactly the scripture I was thinking of. There's the one that talks about the ointment that walked down Aaron's beard. But this one is a different one. Anyway, it is pleasant. The sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Living, breathing counsel is what that means. A friend. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if we, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The benefit of close friends. Okay, we're going to begin tonight with some motivations for closeness. I'm sure if I were to ask you, they would, you would, you could come up with a whole list. I'm going to give you mine. The first one is warmth. There is warmth in a close friendship, a close relationship. It's a cold world out there. It's cold and lonely without the closeness of friends. It doesn't matter where you live. The second motivation would be understanding. Close friends know where you are coming from. They know the special struggles that you face. Struggles that the casual acquaintance has no idea exists. A third one would be affirmation. I find this to be a large one. All of us are affirmation junkies. We love affirmation, don't we? We like when people say, good job. We like it when people walk up beside you and say, Glad to see you're doing well. Uh, that was a good move you made. Affirmation is, is one of the beauties of, of closeness with friends who are willing to 
come up and give, give you that affirmation. Understanding, uh, affirmation that I am normal, that I am valuable, that my positions are legitimate. A fourth one is depth of experience. There is something about having close friends that gives you a depth of experience that you won't have on by yourself. A depth of experience that involves the, the relationship. Um, I, I don't think Christians were ever meant to be monks. I know, I, my apologies to all those who live by themselves. But I, I don't think that was God's plan. I really don't. That was not in the plans. We were meant, not meant to be alone like that. We were meant to relate to others. Shared experience deepen our lives and make them more meaningful. And the bonding develops through shared experience, experiences. This is good. And fifth, finally, is personal growth. How can we grow? How can we grow? Uh, without someone to point out areas of growth that, that they notice. We, we often have a, a biased view of ourselves. God intends for us to build each other up and to feed from each other, to strengthen each other, to provide stability in our life experience. So there are many motivations to closeness. And, and I've got a, a small list here of, of motivations. For many of you, I think I speak accurately, these motivations are not enough, and you aren't close. There are many, many lonely people in our churches and communities, extremely lonely people, people that are, that are walking alone, and they're putting on a good front. They're coming to church and they're on time, and they're doing everything good, but they're, they're alone, they're walking by themselves. And it's not, it's not an existence that God intends. He intends for there to be a, a body experience, an experience of friendship, experiences that are shared together. And uh, so many of us walk alone for various reasons. I want to talk next about barriers. Barriers is a term that I'm going to use tonight for whatever we do or don't do to protect us from exposure and help us avoid whatever we fear. This is not original with me, this definition. We tend to put barriers up around ourselves that to protect us from other people. It usually happens when we've been hurt by somebody, perhaps very deeply. We've been hurt, and because we've been hurt, we don't want that to happen again. You know, you can do it to me once, but I am going to be smart next time and you're not going to do it to me again. So because that hurt came from another person, we, we erect barriers to prevent that from happening. And there are some really good barriers out there, as we'll see here in a minute. Many of you have developed some pretty, pretty effective barriers to closeness. Barriers are for protection. They are there are limits for closeness, and the barriers are for concealment, for hiding. We can hide behind those barriers. I want to mention that we're not talking about personal boundaries. I want to differentiate between boundaries. We all have personal boundaries 
that we don't like people to get closer then, okay? That's normal. And our culture, the American culture, is, has a little larger personal boundary than some other cultures do. Some cultures, that very, the personal boundaries are very, very small. Ours are, I asked somebody one day, and I demonstrated this over at the Bible school, you know, how big of a barrier, you know, I walked right up to him, you know, where, where, where should I stop? And it's, it's about this far, okay? <laughs> we have boundaries. That, that's normal. We, we need some privacy, but that, that is not what we're talking here with barriers. We're not talking about personal space. We're talking about a shell that we put up. You could call them defensive layers. Okay, we got a young person here. We have another one. And due to some problem that they have, they have erected what you could call barriers or shells around themselves. There's a, they've had a bad experience at some point and they don't want to be hurt again. That's, that is so often happening in our relationships. We don't feel safe. We feel exposed, and whatever we do or we don't do to to protect us from the exposure is what these barriers are. Many of you don't realize that you have put up barriers, but you know you're not close. You struggle with closeness. These barriers are somewhat unconscious for many of you. You don't even know that you're doing it, but it's working very well. Let me give you some examples of barriers that we use. First, what I would call unacceptable barriers. Um, for many people, it is kind of a, uh, a cockiness that they develop. You would almost think they're a proud person. They, they, they've developed a self-assured, uh, I am able to take care of myself, thank you very much, and, you know, I don't need you. It's kind of an atmosphere. They need you, trust me, but they, they, they've developed this, this cockiness, and it turns people away. They, they don't want to get close to somebody like that. It's an effective barrier. Another one might be abrasive behavior. You see this with young people. They do things that are just really stupid. And you, why are they, why are they acting so stupid? Nobody likes that. Well, maybe they don't even realize that, that, that this is an effective way to keep people away, keep people at a distance. Another one might be uh, being a show-off. And you could have probably a long list. These are ones that I'm aware of. Some very socially acceptable barriers are a struggling humility. People can give off a struggling humility that I, I just can't do well. I'm, I, I, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just like that. A, a constant struggling humility turns people away. Number two, a constant cheerfulness. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if a, a person who is always cheerful can drive me up a wall, maybe I'm weird. But they, that's not real, folks. <laughs> They're not always that way. Okay, it's, something, it's put on for a reason sometimes. No. Trying to be a super achiever can be a barrier. I'm guilty of that one. 
I, I, I could indict myself right now. If you try to be a super achiever and you try to do everything better, uh, that can be a barrier that you're putting in place. You're going to have to determine what it may be in your own case because I can't. I can't tell you that. What is the barrier that you use? Have you gotten good at it? I want to talk about taking down barriers because as long as those barriers are in place, oh, quietness was the last one on the list. Quietness can be a barrier as well. Super, super quiet person. Taking down barriers. The first one is honesty. We need to be honest about it. In order to take down barriers, we must admit that they exist, what they are, and that, they, that we are in charge of them. We are pushing people away. We are lashing out. We are blaming others and the hurt that they have caused. We are not taking responsibility for the barriers that are around us. So first part of it is, is to admit that I have, I have an issue that is keeping people from being close to me. And, and many of us do have those. Number two is relationships. Developing relationships is a, is a way to take down barriers. Um, we need people's help in taking down the barriers. In our... Barriers, I could have mentioned under the first point there, honesty. We are afraid that people will see us as we really are if we take down the barriers. And we don't want to admit that they're there. We fear being nothing. We fear being ugly. We fear being a nobody. We fear exposure of some type. And there's always a cost with taking down barriers. Um, anonymity, loss of anonymity. Vulnerability, exposure of weakness, and selfish living would be among the costs to taking down barriers. Eleanor Roosevelt said that too many of us stay walled up because we are afraid of being hurt. We are afraid to care too much for fear that the other person does not care at all. Relationships help us in taking down the barriers, especially a relationship with God. Many of us have barriers up because we are fearful or we're insecure. We're very insecure and the, the fix for security, personal security, is a strong relationship with the Lord. I, I know that to be true. So many people get their value from others around them and people don't affirm them. Don't give them value, and so they feel very, very uh, inferior. But as we can accept God's um, love in our lives, we can overcome many of those inferiority complexes. He never rejects us. He never uh, sends us away. A third uh, thing that help us, helps us take down our barriers are, is healing. Why do we raise barriers? Many of us raise barriers because we've been hurt. And there is a deep hurt there within our lives, and we need the healing power of God. 
Someone has likened it to, and I think it might have been John Koblenz, to a, a place where there is a big, there's a hurt in our lives, and there's a scab that's developed over it. But there has never really a healing taken place to that hurt. And so we put a band-aid on it. We put some kind of protective device on it to keep that from happening again. Luke 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is Jesus speaking, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. We need God's healing. As we experience God's healing of our hurts, we can understand that um, we don't have to protect ourselves from every conceivable hurt because we know the grace of God is there to heal us. God will take care of those hurts for us. And we don't have to walk around with a big old guard around us to keep other people from hurting us because we know that God is there and He will heal the brokenhearted. He will take care of our hurts. Number four is cleansing. Cleansing us from all iniquity. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1.9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's like a wound that needs cleansing. It needs the blood of Christ to cleanse it, to make it clean, to remove the ugliness and the mistrust that's there as part of that hurt. Finally, there needs to be forgiveness. We want to spend um, the last session, Sunday night, talking about forgiveness in particular. Forgiveness is a huge, huge subject, but as it relates here to to the barriers, taking down the barriers, um, we need to forgive the perpetrator of our hurts in order to take down those barriers. There has to be forgiveness. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but it's terribly tough to forgive. Am I right? It can be extremely, extremely tough to really forgive. And I've had to fight that thing through for months. And I, I still sometimes wonder, did I really 100% forgive? But that is, it is worth all the effort that we have to let go of those hurts. Because if we, if we keep sheltering them, it's like a scab that's over that, that hurt, and that hurt is not really healed. It's covered over. And it appears to be dry, and, and nobody knows that it's there, maybe, but it's still there. And it, it makes us shy away. Have you ever struggled if you forgive, haven't forgiven someone completely? You, you don't want to be around them at all, right? You just went, get out of my life. Move away from me. I don't even want to ever see you again. You know, you, you really did me wrong. Uh, so those barriers and, and closeness and relationships involve these, at least these five areas. Closeness happens when we are able to take down our barriers those things which hold us apart and develop closer relationships. The barriers are what hold us apart. Related to all those barriers, I think, is fear. 
Fear is probably one of the largest, uh, terriblest parts of relationships that, that keep people away from each other, keep people from getting close, is, is that fear. Fear of exposure, fear of failure, fear of, of not being accepted. There's just all kinds of fears involved there. And I want to talk next about something that you probably never expected tonight. Um, we're going to talk about the fear dance, okay? Uh, you all are good Mennonites, and I am too. Well, maybe. And we don't dance, right? We don't want to talk about dancing, but I'm going to talk about a dance tonight that you are probably involved in or have been involved in. My parents, God bless my father, he's now in heaven, and my mother were very good at this fear dance, even though they were almost Amish. Fear dance. It is a concept that I have left it again from the DNA of Relationships by Gary Smalley. I want to give them, him credit for that. We all wrestle with some core fear or fears. Fear is as old as the Garden of Eden, or as a youngster put it, the Garden of Eden. Where sin came in, it brought fear as one of the consequences. Before sin arrived in the Garden of Eden, there wasn't that fear. The animals, they didn't fear each other. The people, they didn't fear each other. The people didn't fear God. They didn't fear being exposed. They, they were naked and they didn't even think about it. Sin came into the world and it brought with it, along with it, a, a fear. A real problem with fear. And fear is such a powerful motivator in our relationships. Sometimes we can't even express what, what those fears are. I'm going to go down through a list of things here and I bear with me just a little bit. It's a little hard to get this concept right at the beginning, but I, I will stick with you for a bit. Both, many of us have what we would consider to be basic needs or wants. Due to our particular makeup and our personality, we have some real things that we need psychologically for healthy relationships. And I'm going to go down a list of wants. And uh, for many of us, we have we want acceptance. Acceptance is a big deal in our lives. And I could, if I was to ask for a raise of hands, I would see a lot of hands here tonight. We love, we need, we feel like we need, we want acceptance. Another thing might be companionship. That's a, that's a huge need in, in people's lives for companionship. And as I go down through this list, you might want to pick out your own one. And I think you'll recognize it fairly quickly. One that is particularly strong in your makeup, in, in your wants. Another one would be success. Many of us are very success-driven. You feel like you want success, you need success in life to, to be happy. Understanding is another basic want. You, you really want understanding. This is a big deal to you. Respect is a big deal to many of us, especially men. We, we, we want respect. We, we need it more than we need love or some of those other things. We need respect. Commitment, significance. 
and we can't spend a lot of time with each one of these individually, obviously, but I, I want to show that there is, there are basic needs that, that all of us have. There's the need for significance, there's the need for support, there's the need for safety. These are strong drives that we have within us. And you could almost call them, uh, uh, let's just leave it at that, wants or needs. Related to each one of these wants, there is a core fear that we have related to that need. And opposite acceptance, I'm going to put rejection. Because I want acceptance very much, what my core fear is, is rejection. And for many of you, that's a big one. You fear people rejecting you. And it hurts like crazy when somebody rejects you, especially somebody you consider very important in your life. They reject you, and it hurts like crazy. It's a, it's a core fear that you have, and somebody's going to reject you. Along with companionship, you could list their loneliness. Loneliness as being a, a fear that you might have that's related to companionship. Along with success, my fear might be something like failure, which is, is the opposite of success. Fear of failure. I just know I'm going to fail. I, I, I just believe I'm going to be a failure. I have, the success need in my life is so strong. My fear related to understanding might be being, being misunderstood. People just not understanding me. Along with respect, there would be inferiority. Some of us have an inferiority complex because we feel like we, we fear not being respected. Along with commitment, there might be abandonment. And I'm told that because I'm not a, a lady, I'm not a female person, I don't know. I'm told this is a strong, strong core fear in, in females is, is the fear of abandonment uh, because of their need for commitment. And there's a strong need for commitment in a relationship and the fear of abandonment is, is so strong. And I think that's one reason where you have out in our culture so much divorce going on. And if someone divorce happens, the person, the innocent party especially, is, is, they feel abandoned so, so strongly and it hurts so much. Along with significance is the feeling of feeling unimportant. Along with support, there would be neglect, fear of neglect, and along with safety, there would be danger. There would be more. There would be more if you were interested in larger lists. That, that book, The DNA of Relationships, would give you some longer lists. But I picked out some of the, the key ones that I felt were there that affect many of us. So there we have we have a list of wants or needs, you could call them, that, we, that drives us. And, and, and the opposite of that is my fear of, of, the, of the negative happening to me. What happens in a relationship, and it prevents closeness, is the person that you are relating to pushes 
this button and it hurts. In other words, as you get close in a close relationship, you have a button that's labeled loneliness. Or you have a button that's labeled failure. And they push it and you feel like a failure. There's a button that uh, has to do with inferiority. And you need respect and your, your core fear is inferiority. And the person you're relating to pushes the button that makes you feel inferior. And that hurts. That hurts really big time. And when hurts are flying all over the place, there is no closeness. Trust me. It becomes what we call the fear dance. Let me go through that with you, maybe a couple of times. And the way it's described is this way. It begins with a hurt of some type. You experience, and in all relationships, there will be some hurts. Amen? There will be hurts. Hurts happen. It's not, it's not, you're not the oddball because you've been hurt. Hurts will happen. We're all human. We hurt each other. Sometimes intentionally, many times unintentionally. But there are hurts that are happening. Because you want, let's say, your, your core want is respect. You want respect. You've been hurt. You fear, uh, in this case, inferiority. And the person you're relating to uh, pushes your button and you feel inferior. So you react. And then you hurt. Then there's a second hurt. Now you two are both hurting. You want whatever it is you want. Maybe it's safety in this case. The other person party wants safety. You fear danger. Your button gets pushed. And you react and you hurt the other party. And it's a slow dance that goes on. Where people are pushing each other's buttons, if you will. Where you have been hurt by someone. And in any relationship that's close, you, that's going to happen. And because your core need is X and you fear this, you will react to that. And you will hurt your partner or your friend or whoever it is that we're dealing with here. And this thing will... Uh, will turn into a, uh, a dance, if you want to call it that, or a, a, a period of, of uh, hostility, a period of uh, interaction that isn't pleasant. I want to read for you an example of what happened. This is the story that is related by Gary Smalley. He says, Identifying your core fear is important because fear is the music that starts the fear dance. You would think that the fear dance is not a dance anyone would choose to do. You would think most people would rather do a love dance or a joy dance. Something positive. But unless we understand the fear dance and how we can choose not to do it, it seems to be the default dance in most relationships. 
So how does the fear dance work? Let's look at an event from the lives of my son Greg and his wife Erin. Read the following story, understanding their core fears. Greg's core fear is a fear of failure. And Erin's core fear is a fear of invalidation or of not being valued for what she says and does. One night while Erin was working the evening shift at the hospital, Greg was bored and since he loves to decorate the house, he decided to change the arrangement of the master bedroom furniture. Erin usually loves what he does. He moved the bed, repositioned the knickknacks in their shelves, relocated the dresser, and generally gave the room a new look. Then he went to bed and turned out the lights. When Erin got home hours later, she didn't switch on the lights because she didn't want to wake Greg. She tiptoed into the bedroom and immediately smashed her shin on a table that hadn't been there when she left for work. She tripped and crashed into a pair of antique skis that were placed against the wall. The skis in turn tumbled onto a shelf containing all her beloved precious moments figurines, shattering most of her treasures, which continued to fall until they smacked onto Greg's head. Combination of breaking glass, falling objects, and screams awakened Greg. He bolted from bed, forgot that he had moved everything, and ran straight into the wall, bloodying his nose. Not one of your typical nights. When the lights came on, they began shouting at each other. Aaron criticized Greg for moving the furniture without first talking with her about it. Her angry words made Greg feel like a failure. Greg minimized Aaron's concerns and defended his decision to redecorate the bedroom. His words made her feel as if her opinions didn't matter. The shouting and the defending and the sarcasm continued, and the fear dance was in full swing. Do you see it? They pushed each other's fear buttons. Aaron pushed Greg's fear of failure button. Greg pushed Aaron's fear of invalidation button. It's all they needed for a wild night of dancing. It's amazing how we all try to get the other person to stop making us feel failed or invalidated or whatever core fear we have. In reality, others are simply revealing our core fear and giving us an opportunity to choose a better course of action that allows us to deal with our core fear in a healthy way. The sad thing is Greg and Aaron did the same destructive dance for years. They look back and see the same pattern playing itself out in every major argument of their marriage. They recognized the pattern early on, but they had no clue how to break it. Either Aaron or Greg withdrew, and even though things eventually calmed down, they always seemed to return in the same hurtful dance. Their habits didn't change until they finally understood the steps in the fear dance and the choices They had to break the rhythm of the dance and learn some important new dance steps. I can't go into this in great depth tonight, but I want to say that the unrest and the, and the, and the uh, back and forth that happens in a relationship where we push each other's buttons is not a formula for closeness. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it happen? I saw it happen in the home growing up. Dad had this one button and Mom knew exactly what it was. And all you have to do is reach over there and push that button. And then the, the fear starts happening because of a certain need that he had in his life. 
and then he would react, and then she was hurt, and then, you know, it just began the old round and round and round bit. And I, I, I can say this, and I don't, I don't know if it would be at all objectionable to say, but they didn't have the best marriage. They really did not. And part of it was just this. I didn't realize it at the time. I was a youngster. But part of it is, is this whole thing of pushing each other's buttons and getting reactions. And understanding what it is that can stop this whole ring around the rosy, if you will, is, is what can stop this, this nonsense and allow us to sit down and let the, uh, let the confusion settle down. And when, uh, when the dance is in full swing, this is kind of what you'll see. You'll see things like withdrawal, people going off in a huff because they've been hurt. You'll see things like sarcasm. Anybody seen that in a, in a, in a fight? Sarcasm going around fairly thick. Cutting kind of things. Escalation of the, of the, uh, of the battle, if you will. Anger happens. Blaming happens. Oh, that really happens. There's manipulation that goes on. There's defensiveness that develops. These are all the things that happen when when we're going around and around. And a closeness is, is, is hard to come by at that point. What can we do? Can we break the routine of this round and round and round thing? Yeah, we can. We can take personal responsibility. Can you change the other person? Have you tried to change the other person? Does it work? Boy, I wish I could sometimes. I wish I could just reach out and just make the necessary adjustments. It works with machines, right, Dennis? You make the adjustment and you get a result. But in relationships, it's not that simple. Because they're another living human being with needs. I'm a person with needs. I have core fears. They have core fears. They have things that, that drive them and that bring unrest into your relationship. And there are things that, that we need to do to take personal responsibility. Number one, look below the surface issue. I think that's key. When you're having a, a war in your relationship, Let's call it that. Instead of a dance, it's probably more a, a small battle that's going on. If there's if there's unrest going on, it's, there's usually a, an issue underneath the surface that needs attention. There's something there that needs correction, and it's not the fact that somebody broke your your best uh, picture frame. It's not that that that's not the real issue. That's not what is driving this this uh, this struggle that's going on. The thing that hurts you, identify what it is that's hurting you as, and, and what your core fears are that began this chain reaction. Secondly, remember it takes two to tango. You can't dance by yourself. You're not going to dance by yourself. So you're going to have to take responsibility to, to step out of the fray and take a time out to, to get this thing to calm down. You have the choice in how you will react to someone else's uh, pushing your buttons. One person can mess up 
this stance. Number three, take responsibility for your buttons. A lot of that is, is understanding what's going on. Number four, don't look to others to make you happy. So many people go through life thinking that others owe them the, owe you happiness. And that's not the case. They can't make you happy. They can, they can contribute. There's no doubt to that. But that's not their job description. Gary Smalley says, In many ways I too remained a child until I was in my 40s. Till that time I looked to my bosses and my churches to take care of me. I'd whine and complain if they didn't care for me the way I wanted. I'd go home and tell my wife that they weren't being sensitive to me. I depended on them for all areas of care until I finally took personal responsibility for my life. I didn't become an adult overnight. It was a slow process. I grew up more over the last two years than I have over the past 15 years taking responsibility for your own actions and reactions. Number five, forgiveness. Forgiveness, that word comes back in there. Forgiveness happens when we give somebody something they don't deserve. We release them of a debt. We basically say, you're free to go. Yeah, you have a big old debt. You did. You, you racked up this huge debt with me, but you don't owe me anything. It's done. It's clear. I'm not holding it against you anymore. Forgiveness heals relationships. I want to spend the last maybe 10, 15 minutes here looking at a big solution for Closeness in relationships. I took these five points from a book by John Koblenz um, called uh, Relating to Each Other God's Way. Something like that is the title. And uh, it involves creating a safe environment. Remember, closeness can only happen in a safe environment. If the environment gets toxic or insecure in your home, it's not a safe place. If the environment in this church becomes toxic and you feel insecure and are not able to, to relate to each other and, and, and talk to each other and, and relate as a body of Christ should relate. If, that, if the environment becomes very insecure, it's, it's going to be very hard to be close as a body of Christ. If there's a, just gross insecurity there, it's going to be hard to relate to each other the way we, we should. And that's probably the case in any, in any relationship. Safety allows closeness to happen in a relationship. It's a fertile ground in which relationships bloom and flourish. It allows us to get out from behind the facades that we have constructed around ourselves for personal protection. It allows us to drop the masks that we have been wearing. It allows us to breathe freely. It allows us the safety that Adam and Eve experienced before that dastardly, terrible fear came on as a result of sin. Okay, we're going to go through five steps. First, number one, respect the wall. 
And that's kind of a funny way to do. Learn why the wall is there. Why did people put up barriers? We just talked about that. They're scared. They've been hurt. And they don't want to be hurt again. Why do you put up walls? You're hurt and you're scared. And you don't need people to, to, to break that scab off again. So we put up walls. Understand what walls are there. Why they're there. Because people feel threatened. And they're trying to preserve themselves. Instead of trying to break down the wall, we need to provide every reason for the owner to slowly remove it because it is absolutely no longer necessary. I found that concept very, very profound. We can't break down someone else's barriers. We need to provide an environment in our relationship that they feel secure enough to take down those walls. That's what, that's the key. That's the key to this closeness thing. Provide security. Make people feel secure in your relationship so that they will take down those barriers that they've erected. They put them up there because they feel insecure. And there was something that they didn't trust you with. And so they put up a wall and so they're not going to open up their hearts to you. Because it's not safe. Because you're going to ridicule them or you're not going to be kind to them or whatever. And so we've got to create an environment. And part of that doing that is understanding what those walls are about, why they're there, respecting them in that way. Number two, honor others. There's something about honoring others, and we talked about that the other night a bit, in humility. Honoring others, respecting others, affirming others. Honor brings security to a relationship. When you honor your wife, you make her feel secure. He values me. Same thing with your husband. If you show him honor, they start feeling secure. Wow. She thinks highly of me. And therefore I am going, you know, it just brings that, uh, brings us closer, makes us secure. Number three, suspend judgment. Compassion brings security. Constant judgment causes people to close down. Constant judgment brings on defensiveness. Understanding brings security. Take an interest in people, in what it is that drives them. That is step number three. Number four, value differences. Understand that we are different from each other. They can be a blessing in a relationship if we know how to handle them. If a relationship is to feel like a safe place, it must make room for all of both people in it. Finally, and probably the most important, if you want to experience closeness in a relationship, you're going to need to be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. I'm serious as everything. If you are trustworthy in your relationship, you provide security for your relationship, don't you? And your spouse doesn't have to wonder what you're into. They don't have to worry. They know you're, you're, you're the real McCoy. They know that you're not going to let them down. Trustworthiness. Maybe it's a leader in the church. Be absolutely trustworthy. And, and, and that builds security. That builds security. The folks know that they can trust you. And that brings a closeness that, that God intends in our relationships. 
Insecurity just breeds on itself. We know some young people especially struggle with insecurity. I have in the past struggled with insecurity. And it uh, when we're insecure, we put up these barriers and we, we put out this toxic smoke and nobody wants to get close and it just feeds on itself. And uh, we can help in those relationships by providing a safe haven, a secure place where people can open up and share their hearts. And you're not going to bite their head off when they do it. You're going to try to understand. You're going to try to provide support. Closeness in relationships. Is it absolutely necessary? No, it's not. But it's a beautiful thing. God intended for relationships to experience that closeness and that blessing that joy that comes from being able to share from our heart the things that are important to us. It takes work like all of these other relationship investments to have a good close relationship. But it's worth it. It's a beautiful thing. God bless you.